We give your attention to the reading of God's holy word once again. The grass withers, the flowers will fall. The word of the Lord endures forever. John 19, verse 16b. There as the new paragraph begins. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And then our text for this morning, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For your Son's sake. Amen. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sixth word of Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished, is a blessed word. He says other things on the cross. and The last thing that he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's not recorded in this gospel, but this is indeed a blessed word, the sixth word. It is finished. We could consider this word our entire Christian lives, and indeed in some sense we do. We we live all of our Christian lives in light of this declaration that Jesus Christ has finished his work for us. But indeed, we could consider it all of our lives and still not plumb the depths of these words, the significance of these words, the the beauty and the wonder of these words. For it is a declaration from our Lord that redemption has been completed. All that has needed to be done in order to reconcile us to God, Jesus in this moment declares that it is finished. It is complete. 
We have all kinds of examples of the, the relief of something being finished, something being complete, something being now perhaps ready to be enjoyed. Very simple, even down to the, the food we eat each day. We set timers on the oven and the, the food is ready, it's cooked or it's, it's baked and the timer goes off, all of a sudden now it's, it's ready to eat. We have uh, kind of degrees of this going up and down the scale. We uh, go to school for sometimes many years and there are graduation ceremonies, kinds of things that happen at this time of the year, perhaps a little bit uh, before, a month ago or so. And we give graduates a certificate or a diploma or a degree that testifies that they have completed all the necessary works to be considered a graduate. You confer upon them some kind of standing or recognition. And relief is palpable in those moments, isn't it? That there's this feeling of, of accomplishment, this feeling that uh, it cannot be taken away from you. All of those things, however, of course, fail in comparison. All of the, the relief that we feel on a, a, a daily basis or in these other uh, mark, marking points of our lives pale in comparison to the glory and the wonder of Jesus saying, it is finished, it is complete, it is done, as he says here on the cross. Our hearts must resound in praise as we give consideration to this, as we gather around the table in light of these words, because we understand not only the significance, something of the significance of it, something of what Jesus is actually saying, but for him to say this millennia before any of us were even born, that what he's doing on the cross, for those who believe in him, he, he does it for you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and your Savior, he says it relative to you thousands of years before you were to be born. These are astounding truths. And so it remains to us this morning as we come around the table of the Lord that it remains to us to simply understand something of his work, to seek by his power to understand something of this work for us, and then to accept it in our hearts by faith. For the first time, perhaps, for the, for the thousandth time, we, we look at Christ's work and we, we accept it as sufficient for our salvation. And then, of course, to rejoice and to praise the one who has done it. Right? To simply understand something of it, to accept it in our hearts, in our believing hearts, and to rejoice and praise in the one who has done it. Jesus speaks here of a perfectly finished work. But he says it is finished. Specifically, what, what is he talking about? We've, ta we've touched on it a bit. But is he saying that his time of suffering is over? Is he saying that his human life is over? Is he saying that his time of suffering on the cross is over when he says it is finished? Well, all of those things are true. His suffering is coming to an end. His time on the cross is, is about to be over. He's about to die. His human life is uh, about to come to an end as well, at least initially before the resurrection, of course. But the word here for finished, it's actually one word. We, we have it in one English sentence, but it's one word in the Greek. When Jesus says it, he is uh, telling us that something is accomplished. It is as if he's saying it is accomplished. It's not just reaching the end, but it is fulfilling the mission. He has done all that he must do that was given to him so that his mission might be completed. It is the declaration, mission accomplished. A soldier may call back to base, and if he says mission accomplished, what is he saying? He's is saying to his commanding officer, all of the objectives that you gave to me or to us have been completed. There, there is nothing outstanding 
that is yet to be done, right? A soldier would not say mission accomplished until all has been done. Mission accomplished. What was Jesus' mission, he tells us? Specifically, most specifically, he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the Apostle Paul says. Jesus also tells us that there's expansions on these ideas in John 17, perhaps one of the uh, one of the most expansive places where we find Jesus speaking about his mission. I've come to to, to share the glory of the Father with the world. I've come to, to teach them about you, O Father. I've done that. I've glorified your name. But all of that is contained in what he has done in his mission. He came to teach and to proclaim, and in teaching and proclaiming to seek and to save the lost by bearing the curse, by bearing sin, by becoming a substitute for sinners. And so Jesus breathes his last on the cross, or he comes to breathe his last, and he says, it is finished to tell us die. Mission accomplished. He gives himself to the Father. In fact, that's the, the next word that he says on the cross, as the synoptic gospels tell us. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, he can give himself over and trust himself to his Father because he has done and completed all of his work and entrust himself to the just judge that then may vindicate him as the exalted one. Mission accomplished. How do we know that his mission is accomplished? Well, look at all the things that we retrace in the life of, of Jesus Christ. And these things testify to us that indeed he did fulfill his mission. The resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Spirit, his, ses his session at the Father's right hand. The world may laugh and scorn those things, but to us who receive them as true from God's word, it is absolutely explicit evidence that Jesus accomplished all that was given to him to do. The exaltation itself. Jesus was obedient to the form of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he was obedient, because of all the things that he did, therefore God has highly exalted him. So all of his exaltation is in light of what he has done and in light of the fact that he has finished his word. Romans chapter 1 speaks of the resurrection in this kind of way. That in the resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead. It was God vindicating Jesus, telling the world he has finished it. He accomplished the mission. The ascension, we read in Acts 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all witnesses to these things, to the ascension, session. And then he says, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The Spirit is then tied, the giving of the Spirit. Hebrews 10, famous words, and testify to this. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why does he sit? Because it is finished. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We know and we see and we recognize in history these things that have happened in history that testify to us that Jesus has completed his work. And because of that, we 
who believe and trust in these things, all those who believe in Jesus Christ in this way and who trust in him alone for salvation, we then look into our hearts. We see that our consciences are cleansed. We see the assurance that fills our hearts. And that itself testifies to us of the completeness of Christ's work, the Holy Spirit working in us and assuring us that, yes, he indeed has paid the price for sin. So we look objectively first, we look to the gospel and all that it proclaims to us, and then we see, we, we sense the work of the Spirit in our hearts that tells us and assures us, yes, this work is sufficient for you. Puritan Pastor John Flavel says this, Jesus did all that was required to be done, he suffered all that was required to be suffered, And he did and suffered all that was commanded or threatened in such perfection of obedience that the pure eye of divine justice cannot find a flaw in it. And so finished the work his father gave him to do, and this work finished by our Lord Jesus was necessary, it was difficult, and it is precious. So let us give consideration to those three things, taking the words of this uh, wonderful Puritan writer as our launching point it's necessary, it's difficult, and it's precious. Well, in what sense was it necessary? We said it in our, in our uh, catechism lesson this morning. Christ's death was necessary so that God might show mercy without setting justice aside. Only through the death of the Son of God, who is himself a perfect sacrifice for sinners, who lived himself a perfectly righteous life, whose life could be so scrutinized by the eye of divine justice without God finding a flaw in it, it is only there that God could be just and the justifier of the ungodly. So that God might welcome the sinner into his presence. If, if I were to go up into heaven on my own or try to do so, my sinfulness would infect the purity and the holiness of heaven. It is only because of the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ that God can welcome me into his presence. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me of my sin, the righteousness of Jesus Christ standing for me, saying as if I had lived that perfect of life, uh, of a life and God imputing that to me. So God can welcome the sinner, so God can justify the ungodly. A perfect righteousness that passes the muster of God's holiness so that God might show mercy without setting justice aside. It was a necessary work. It was a difficult work. Now, this seems very obvious. We read uh, the gospel accounts of the suffering of Jesus Christ. It seems obvious that it was, it was a difficult work, but we give extra consideration to it this morning. And we should also say that as we come across the many things that tell us about the difficulty of Jesus' suffering, his anguish in Gethsemane, his cry of dereliction on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he cries out, I am thirsty, as we read in the Gospel of John, the excruciating accounts of his torture, his crucifixion. But we also understand, in addition to all of these things, that the suffering of Jesus Christ was made more difficult than it would have been for any normal, uh, mere human being, any mere human being, because of Christ's ability as both God and man to sustain God's wrath. See, Jesus drank God's wrath to the dregs. He saw depths of God's wrath that a sinner experiencing the eternal condemnation of God will never sustain. He also had a nearness to the Father that he set aside. He he, he knew of the blessedness of 
of the communion that he had with his father. And in some sense, this mysterious sense sets aside a a, a nearness of that communion that he has while still remaining, of course, fully God, true God, while still remaining the beloved son of God. Nevertheless, he sets aside some of that blessedness of communion as he becomes forsaken. We say it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And indeed it is true, but we know that that teaches us something. It opens the heart up to pain and to suffering, doesn't it? You love people dearly and you lose them and you suffer in ways that you would not have before. It's a necessary work, it's a difficult work. Jesus has this capacity for sustaining God's wrath that any mere sinner would not have, and it is then indeed a precious work. It is a a precious work. Flavel goes on to say in in this work that he's considering these things, that if angels sang for joy when the foundations of the earth were laid, then can you imagine the song that was sung in heaven when Jesus utters the words, it is finished? When a faithful saint who has been suffering a long time dies in the Lord, there is a sweet relief that comes from those moments. Indeed, it is difficult. The death is is certainly difficult, but there's a, a sweet relief when a loved one finally succumbs to death after long and sustained suffering. But nothing can compare to what heaven felt in those moments when the Son of God said, it is finished, when his suffering was over. So, beloved people of God, as we gather around the table this morning, do you regard it as a precious work? Do you regard it as precious? And of course, we all do. Of course, we would affirm that we do and and, and say, of course, yes. And yet, do we take the time to meditate on the glory and the wonder and the beauty of his work such that it becomes more and more precious to us? Would he devote that sacred head For such a worm as I, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? O make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. It is a necessary, a difficult, and a precious work, and he goes all of the way to death. Our text tells us that he gave up his spirit This, of course, tells us that he really died uh, in addition to his burial. What do we take from the fact that Jesus really died, experienced the true human death? Well, that, of course, tells us all kinds of things about our own death. It tells us all kinds of things about our atonement and Jesus saving us from just wrath, from just condemnation. He has gone through hell for us. What he suffered was suffering the exact same things that would have sent us to an eternity in hell. This is the preciousness of what we confess when we say the Apostles' Creed. Say that he descended into hell. It's it's really an expansion upon the work of Christ in his suffering. He suffered and was crucified and dead and buried. All of that to say he descended into hell. In his work, in his suffering and what he finally suffered culminating in the cross and his death was going to hell for those who would believe in him. He drank God's wrath to the dregs for us. And so we say it in the creed as something most precious, even though when we are saying it, we're not saying something uh, the same as what the Roman Catholic Church confesses, that Jesus descended into hell after his crucifixion, that he suffered in such a way 
that he suffered exactly what he needed to suffer in order to save us from hell. These are blessed words. One uh, poet puts it this way, He, hell and hell laid low, made sin, he sin or threw, bowed to the grave, destroyed it so, and death by dying slew. He has also then transformed death for us. One pastor says we were born to die. Death is inevitable, which is why we're so terrified of it. But we cannot, indeed we must not, brothers and sisters, fear death the way that the world does. We, we hear the words of our Savior when he says it is finished as he succumbs to death. And in so doing, he transforms death for us. At the end of Pilgrim's Progress, the last trial that uh, Pilgrim and, and Hopeful stand uh, to and to be tested with is the trial of death itself. And it's a river, the river of death. And they enter the waters, and Christian is immediately overcome with panic. He screams, the, the billows go over my head, all his waves go over me. The sorrows of death have totally encompassed me. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. In other words, he begins to doubt his salvation. He, he believes that the test, the trial of death is too much. He will not make it through to the land that is past the Jordan. Hopeful does his best to encourage Christian, but he keeps sinking into despondency. And then Hopeful says to him, Be of good cheer. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Jesus Christ makes you whole. Jesus Christ, by his work, which is complete, which he has perfected, which he declares to us from the cross, it is finished. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And then it, it is as if the, the scales fall from Christian's eyes once again and he is filled with assurance. He is filled with uh, an assurance and confidence in salvation. And he remembers Isaiah 42, which says, of course, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Those words are so precious to us because as we consider the waters of death, the fiery trials of this life, we understand and know that we can look to a Savior who has done all of these things for us and declares to us from the cross, it is finished. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. We then go on to read in Pilgrim's Progress, they both took courage. The enemy was after that as still as a stone. Christian found ground, therefore, to stand upon. Jesus Christ maketh you whole. Hear the words of your Savior. So then as we come to the table See the excellence of the way of faith. The excellence of the way of faith for two reasons. First is this, it is comfortable to us. It is comfortable to us. The way of believing is the most excellent way because it is comfortable to us because the seeing eye of God's justice can look at every aspect of the work of Jesus Christ and not find one single flaw in it. Now ask yourself this question. If the seeing eye of God's justice were to look at every aspect of your own life, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, and if you were to bring that before the Lord and to have that evaluated by the seeing eye of his justice, would you be comfortable understanding that you were to enter into blessedness whether or not he finds that to pass the muster of his holiness. Of course not. So look at the way of faith to say that you accept this gift of Jesus' blood and his righteousness and the seeing eye of God's justice can look at all of it and not find a single flaw. All of that 
has been done to set you right with God, to reconcile you to him. And the blessedness of this, brothers and sisters, that as we gather today for worship and we consider these weighty things and we take communion together and we thank the Lord for all that he has done in Jesus Christ, is that you need not wait until the final judgment to know whether or not you have been uh, welcomed into blessedness from God. You need not wait until the last day. You need not wait until you die to know whether or not you have been reconciled to him. That is the blessedness of hearing these words that Jesus says. Your Lord has told you that it is finished, so believe his word. And then, so it's comfortable to us, and then it's pleasing unto God. One act of faith, John Flavel says, one act of faith is more pleasing to God than an entire lifetime of trying uh, to gain salvation by law obedience. It's pleasing unto God. Imagine somebody spends all of this time to welcome guests into his home and he paves this beautiful walkway and uh, puts on the sides beautiful flowers and, and, and plants. He knows that there's going to be a celebration at his house soon. And as he begins to welcome his guests, he sees that all of his guests are kind of meandering aimlessly through his front yard. And he thinks to himself, I have paved this way for you to come into my house. And God the Father has paved this way for us to come to him. It is the way of his son and accepting his work on your behalf and seeing his blood and righteousness as fully sufficient and to hear his words declared, it is finished. And to come to him in that way, it is pleasing unto God. To come to him in the way of faith is pleasing unto God the Father. So let us hear the words of our Savior as he says, it is finished. Let us see the excellence of the way of faith, that it's comfortable to us, that it's pleasing unto God, and to remember that as the Lord transforms us by his grace, if he has finished his work for you, he will certainly finish his work in you. He purchased not only your justification, he purchased your sanctification. He has called you to be holy, and as you hear the words, it is finished, understand and know that he does not fail in his work. He will not fail to bring you to the end for all those who trust in him. So trust in him. Hear his words. Give yourself from your heart to the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.